Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. this particular time in history is we have 7.7 trillion dollars worth of economic events that are going to hit america in the gut this is an economy of one with gary rathbun president and ceo of private wealth consultants the free market voice free market voice of the u.s enhancing and protecting private wealth gary rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn it's life liberty and the pursuit of self-reliance an economy of one with gary rathbun this is our country greetings and welcome again to an economy one i am your host Gary Rathman. Well, it's been an interesting, interesting week this week. We had Janet Yellen from the Federal Reserve giving us commentary about the uh, uh, recent Federal Open Market Committee meeting. We had President Obama presenting his nominee for the Supreme Court. We had another Super Tuesday. And more importantly, we had St. Patrick's Day. The real, the real highlight of the week, probably. But Yellen came out and said, pretty dovish on interest rates. The plan before was to have several rate increases this year, and now she's backed off on that, so the market liked that. I'm not even going to comment right now on President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court. We haven't learned enough yet. Uh, I think in the coming weeks we're going to learn a lot about his lower court rulings and get an idea of what what he is about with regards to the Constitution and different social issues. Super Tuesday, not unexpected. Trump won a bunch of states, and Kasich won my home state of Ohio. And, of course, Hillary swept everything and got all the states that she was running in. I think the, one of the interesting things that was was very little talked about this week was the uh, House Panel Budget Committee put out a GOP blueprint for discretionary spending this week, and if it wasn't if it wasn't causing us to spiral the drain fiscally, I, it would almost be funny. But they're proposing to cut the budget six point five billion dollars over ten years. 10 years that's 650 million a year that's 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 less than nothing that's a rounding error and of course democrats are fighting it tooth and nail saying that the poor and and children and old people are all going to die a horrible gooey death but 6.5 billion 
over 10 years. Now, we've talked about this. They always go for that that 10-year crap because it makes the number seem bigger when it really isn't, and it absolves them of any responsibility going forward because next year's a new budget, and they'll just redo it anyway. It's meaningless, and, and why they keep doing it, thinking that Americans are falling for it, is beyond me. But even the Tea Party members, Tea Party Republicans, voted with the Democrats on this. So that tells you very clearly what politicians do to get elected and what they do after they're elected. Very clearly. They, uh, they, they, they don't uphold their, their promises at all. Now, this type of budget is really just a politically academic exercise. It, it's, it's not being proposed for binding legislation uh, or anything like that. Uh, it's just a, I don't know, just, just a wish list, if you will, that Republicans come out and say, hey, we proposed this, and it got shut down. They're proposing to eliminate Obamacare coverage for millions of people, slash Medicaid, raise the eligibility age for Medicare, to 67, transform Medicare into a voucher-like system. All of that sounds good, but none of it's going to go through. None of it's going to happen at all. And like I said, even even if it did, it's $6.5 billion in 10-year savings. And, of course, all that savings, the big cuts, are in the final years because the first year, uh, they raised military spending alone by $40 billion or some goofy amount. So um, it's it truly an exercise in stupidity and one that, I don't know, it just frustrates me that it's meaningless and uh, all it is is politics. The, the Republicans and the Democrats, I mean, they're, the, the Republicans are, have the majority. and But everything they do is under the litmus test of, well, the Democrats and the media. I mean, the media goes along with uh, the Democrats for the most part. They're, they're, they're looking for something that the Democrats won't blame them for a shutdown. Let the government get shut down and blame the Republicans. Or anything that seen as an increase in spending. If they try cutting spending, they're crucified. If they try increasing spending, they're crucified. So instead of acting like a leader, instead of being visionary and representing their constituents and, and doing what's best for America, regardless of the, the political chips... They, they've just reduced themselves down to uh, a party that, that searches for a clever solution to each Democratic trap. It, it's, it's all optics. It, it's all how is the, the press going to spin the story to make the Democrats look good and the Republicans look bad. Now, understand, I think they're both bad. I, I don't... Uh, I, I I don't think one party is superior over the other because I think the system uh, out of Washington is totally broken. I've I've said over and over and over again. I think we ought to just dig the Potomac a little bit deeper 
and push Washington, D.C. out past the 12-mile limit uh, just to make sure Congress is in session when we do it. So they all go out there the same. Um, I think we could do without uh, Congress. I think we could do with, without a major, major part of the federal government. I mean, it's just too big. But the Republicans been in charge. Um, they keep increasing the budget. Keep increasing. We saw when Paul Ryan took over for John Boehner. Immediately made all the concessions uh, to the uh, White House and, and uh, Democrats and got a budget through. Didn't care. Didn't care. Deficit is over $19 trillion national debt. Fourth quarter 2015, for the first time since World War II, I believe, the national debt surpassed 100% of the GDP. So now our debt is greater than our annual GDP. And we are the largest country, largest economy in the world, and we're essentially insolvent from a balance sheet standpoint. Now, we're not really, okay, and I'm not trying to fear monger or anything like that, but we, we can't... We can't get our way out of this. We can't get our way. The, the Department of Health and Human Services alone has an annual budget, annual budget of $1.1 trillion. And that's just one department, Health and Human Services. It's 73,000 employees. They spend $8,800 for every household in America per year. Absolutely incredible what the federal government is spending without care. They, they have no concern about this national debt. They have no concern about future generations. And quite honestly, they have no concern about how to grow the economy. Uh, the fact is they simply need to get out of the way of people trying to build businesses in this country. It's the only way we get to grow the GDP. You're not going to grow the GDP through socialism, through communism, through fascism. Only free market capitalism is going to grow the GDP. There's a major crisis in that growth of the GDP, and that is... American entrepreneurship. Coming up, I'm going to talk about why the American entrepreneur is not doing so well right now. We'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. The only way we're going to grow the GDP in this country, gross domestic product, the only way we're going to add jobs to the economy, the only way that we're going to dig our way out of 
the hole we're in is through American entrepreneurship. Now, there's a crisis going on in American entrepreneurship. I've seen several conflicting stories, and um, it it goes anywhere from uh, businesses are doing well, we're getting a lot of new startups, but they're not scaling, to the number of businesses being open versus the number closing down, uh, we're closing down more than we're opening. Either scenario, we're not getting the the jobs and the revenue and the growth in GDP that we have in the past through American entrepreneurs. Now, I, th- I, I I'm a con- uh, I'm totally convinced that this country became what it w- is through. American entrepreneurs, people coming here and having the freedom to build a business. But that also includes the freedom to fail. And most entrepreneurs that have become successful, you talk to them about their journey, and inevitably they've failed several times uh, to get to where they, they are today. But... Fewer and fewer people are starting businesses, and if they do start a business, fewer of them are succeeding. And of the ones that are succeeding, fewer of them are scaling. Now, by scaling, I mean growing significantly to the point where they either go public or they have an impact nationwide, that kind of stuff. They grow exponentially in a scale. Okay, now a lot of things go into that, and there's a lot of speculation around why that is. Part of it could be simply baby boomers didn't have the children that our parents did. That might be part of it, that there's fewer people of those age groups. I personally think that it has a lot more to do with education, people are taught that uh, as they go through school nowadays and going through college, that uh, they shouldn't be a business owner, that capitalism is bad, that they should dedicate their life to helping people. In fact, the number one job that college graduates are seeking in recent research is government employment. Government employment. Now, government employment added... 40,000-plus jobs last year to the union ranks. That's just to the federal union ranks. So I I think a big part of it is education. I think a part of why companies don't scale, in other words, get big and be national, is regulatory. Regulations work against business owners. And by regulations, I mean everything from compliance to uh, borrowing capital to minimum wages. Um, Minimum wage, we're seeing a lot of that. It has been a huge push all over the country to raise minimum wages. And Oregon especially. Now, Oregon came out, the state legislature increased 
uh, minimum wage over the next few years up to fourteen seventy-five an hour. And at the same time, same day, an, uh, an article came out that said the universities in Oregon uh, are hard hit by the minimum wage hike. And they're going to have to scale back significantly how many students they employ and they're going to have to raise tuition. Now, these are the same institutions that are educating people that think it's okay to essentially suspend the, the laws of supply and demand and vote for more money. The very institutions that are fighting to increase minimum wage are the ones that are getting hurt by an increased minimum wage. Now, I don't know if they're smart enough not to ask for an exemption, but if they did ask for an exemption, can you imagine how that would go over? It's no different than Congress passing laws for business owners that they don't have to follow themselves. The pension laws that I, as an employer, have to follow, Congress doesn't. The health care and benefit laws for my employees that I have to follow, Congress doesn't. It would be the same with these universities. But we are seeing constant attack on the business owner, specifically the small business owner. New laws going into effect later this year, probably, probably. It's not for certain, but it's it's 80% there, and that's overtime pay for salaried workers. In the past, if your salary was greater than $23,400, I believe, President Obama, 23660 raised that to 50440 all in one jump. More than a 100% increase that if you make under that dollar amount, anything over 40 hours, your employer has to pay you time and a half. And this is going to put money in the pockets of millions of workers, and it'll help consumer and small businesses and, and all this kind of garbage when, in fact, it's going to unemploy people. Business owners, I'm a business owner. I am not going to pay that overtime. Not going to do it. I will scale back hours for people, and I will be hesitant to employ anybody new. So this is what's causing the crisis in American entrepreneurs. Coming up next, Don Watkins. He's a fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute is going to be joining me. He's got a new book out, and uh, I uh, talked to him over to CPAC. So we'll talk to Don Watkins next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Don Watkins from the Ayn Rand Institute. Don, thanks so much for joining us here on Economy of One. Exciting to be here. You know, uh, last year at this time, I, I had the privilege of 
meeting Euron for for the first time and and talk about the book a little bit. I'm excited about meeting the other half of the duo that uh, does the writing. And you got a new book coming out in just a few weeks, right? Yeah, Equal is Unfair, America's Misguided Fight Against Income Inequality, uh, March 29th. So March it's, it's 29th. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to that. I read everything you guys write. I read your blogs. I read your, your articles. I listen to you guys' podcasts. I'm the biggest Ayn Rand fan in my studio. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, really I have a lot of competition, on the other hand. To yeah, be, uh, you do. The biggest Ayn Rand fan in the Ayn Rand Institute. That's, you know, just as a, a precursor, this is kind of off, off the uh, beaten path a little bit. But tell us about the Ayn Rand Institute and what you do and, and uh, that kind of stuff there for our listeners that, that may not be familiar. Yeah, I mean, we think Ayn Rand's ideas and novels are really important and can have a profoundly positive impact on the lives of individuals and really on the lives of our entire our, our entire culture. And so we do what we can to promote the books, promote the ideas, take those ideas and apply them to modern events because I think as powerful as Atlas Shrugged is, how does it apply to the arguments about income inequality? How does it apply to Obamacare? And so we really try to take that and flesh it out so that people can get a really fresh take on how to think about their lives and about the world today. You know, it really really disappoints me. I, I went to college in the 70s. I'm not nearly as old as I look, but uh, I did go in the 70s. I didn't discover Atlas Shrugged until 1978 and uh, just fell in love with it, read it through cover to cover, and uh, Ayn Rand died in 1982, was it? 1982. And I just kicked myself because I could have written her a letter she would have responded. I could have went to New York and met her maybe. Uh, it was just one of those lost opportunities that that I always regret a little bit. But yeah, I get uh, to I get to have no regrets because I was born like a month or two after she died. Oh so. well, you know, you, you, you can have some some uh, little bit of regret that she wasn't born sooner, but uh, you would you have go. been born a lot sooner <laughs> to appreciate the meeting, I think. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about just about a couple of things. You know. Um, presidential year, presidential election, all the candidates are out there. I'm not going to talk about any individual candidates. That's not what we do here. But talk to me a little bit about your impression of, you know, what we're getting from from uh, economic uh, sense, from free market sense, from objective thinking, from, from the potential candidates. And, and one of them is going to be our president regardless. Yeah, I think one thing that you should always think about is what issues are they raising? What issues do they regard as important? Set aside what their position is. What do they regard as the central issues? And I think the most notable thing is that nobody has really made economic freedom, free markets, the central issue of the campaign. In fact, the only person who's really focused primarily on economics is Bernie Sanders, and his whole campaign is how do we get rid of whatever economic freedom remains in America, and in particular, blame and tar uh, anybody who's economically successful for all our problems. You know, the, I, give, I, I give Bernie Sanders credit on one standpoint. He's honest about his socialism. I mean, he comes out and says, I'm a socialist. I want to get rid of the capitalistic markets. Seems like many of the other candidates kind of dance around that issue and uh, say they want to make the state smaller, say they want to make government smaller, but they really don't. Yeah, I mean, you used to have an ideological debate about what kind of system should we have? Should we have socialism or should we have, and they would never really say capitalism because people were too afraid to defend capitalism, but there was still this idea of we face a basic choice. Today, it's 
we all agree that we should have a so-called, you know, capitalist economy, but we need to rein it in or iron out, you know, the rough edges and so on. And so it becomes a very muddled mess about who stands for what and what principles are involved. And I do think that Bernie Sanders, part of what his virtue is, to the extent you can call it a virtue, is he makes it more clear what choice we face. Mm-hmm. Are we going to go in a direction where the government controls our life and our wealth? Or can we go in a different direction where each individual is free to control their own lives and wealth? But the problem is nobody's taking that other side in a principled way. And that's really what worries and oppresses me. You know, it's funny because you hear the apologists on TV defending uh, President Obama, defending what uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton says, defending even what Bernie Sanders says from the standpoint of what they call uh, uh, democratic socialism. And they say, well, Europe's been that way for a long time. And I I looked that up in uh, uh, one of Ayn Rand's books, and she said the difference between communism and democratic socialism is the difference between murder and suicide. And and I I just thought that, you know, the the pithiness of that, the concise image of that says it all for me. Now, there is a sense in which, I I mean, Sanders is not a socialist in the technical meaning of he does not think that the government should con- vote to control the means of production. Mm. He's a socialist in the moral sense. It's the idea that we're all in this together, which really means the collective, the group society, and its representative, the government, own your life and own your wealth, which is just the material expression and, right. and creation of your life. And th- and I think that's the real issue is not, you know, uh, is are we going to challenge that ideal? Because so long as that is the ideal, so long as that's what we should aspire to have society and control of everything, well, then guess what? The Sanders of the world are correct. You know, it's, it's one of the, the underlying principles of, of Ayn Rand's philosophy. One of the underlying principles of liberty is private property. And it seems like the more that we want the government to solve, the more uh, we want them to fix things, the less we have access to private property. Private property is under continuous attack from federal government, from state government, even local government to a certain extent. And we've seen that with the EPA. We're going to talk to somebody about the EPA uh, a little bit later today. But, uh, I mean, is, is any of the candidates, you know, you say they're not speaking up about the free market, uh, any of them speaking up about private property and the respect for that? Not that I've heard. In the past, like Ted Cruz had said some very good free market things in the past on occasion, but it's it's not what's been emphasized in this election. But you're absolutely right that, I mean, the way Ayn Rand thought about it is property rights are the implementation of every other right. And we're actually seeing this play out right now in a Supreme Court case over abortion. Whatever your views of abortion are, one eloquent thing from this case is that the, the Republicans are using the government's power to regulate private property to regulate abortion out of existence. And now the left finally discovered, hey, that's not fair. What about private property rights? Mm-hmm. And and the fact is that you can't have any rights unless the ability to act in the world independently is protected. And what protects your right to act independently without my permission or without the government's permission? Your property rights. And that's what we've thrown out a long time ago. One of the things I want you to elaborate on, because obviously you're, uh, I would consider you an absolute expert on Ayn Rand's philosophy and objective thinking and that kind of stuff, um, seems like so much is going on in the world today that people invoke the term, well, it's my right. 
talk about rights a little bit. I know Ayn Rand spoke from rights from the standpoint of natural rights, that they are not granted by government. They need to be protected by government. And everything is a right today. My right not to be offended, my right to have food provided for me, shelter, that kind of stuff, really doesn't fall under the natural rights category, does it? Um, no, I mean, she, so she basically agreed with the founders that rights are moral principles protecting individuals' freedom of action. It says that as an individual, you to do what's right means to do what is going to support your life and make your happiness possible. And then what we need rights for as a concept is how do we structure a society so that we can all live together, but each of us can still act independently to pursue our own life and happiness. But what happened is this noble idea of right was taken over by collectivists back in the, in the 20th century, and they transferred right from a freedom of action to an entitlement that somebody else has to supply you with. And so she said, no, you can't have a right to violate somebody else's rights. I can't have a right to have you go to work, just give it your all, and then all the proceeds go to me. That is not a right. That is my control over you. And mm -hmm. so... You cannot have a right to what somebody else has to produce or provide you with. You can only have a right to take actions that no other people are allowed to interfere with. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher the, the quote paraphrasing, but it was something to the effect that once you put a gun to your head, you have no free will. You can't make a moral choice at that point. I mean, what, what was her... So, yeah, I, I'm bastardizing that pretty bad. But sure. I, I, her, her real insight into the nature of rights, and, and there were a number of them, but the one you're raising here is she, she viewed it as only one thing can violate rights, and that's the initiation of physical force. Because right. what physical force does is it says you can't follow your own independent judgment and deal with other people voluntarily. You are going to follow my whim at the point of a gun. So it's you can't do what you think is best for your life because then you're going to get the worst, i.e. you're going to get my punishment. And so she thought that human relationships to be peaceful and productive and, and successful have to be voluntarily voluntary, which means leave your guns outside. You know, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Iran. It's, it's just a passion of mine. I, I just try to read everything. Uh, I picked up one of your books, I, I will admit, on air. I generally try to read everybody's book before we talk, but I just got this one. A uh, book you wrote on Roosevelt Care, and essentially talking about Social Security and the history of Social Security. Um, what, what's um, what, what's your underlying theme here? I mean, I'm looking forward to reading this, but what's the what, what are you trying to teach me with this this book? The short version is this: that we've been fed a myth about America before and after the welfare state. We were taught that America before the welfare state, people were starving in the streets. And then we had this, uh, you know, wonderful, benevolent, you know, healer of FDR who's providing and taking care of everybody. And what I show is the exact opposite is true, that actually people were able to flourish before the welfare state and that the creation of the welfare state, starting with Social Security, has actually made it harder to live a happy, successful life. You know, I, I, I noticed the, the subtitle is how Social Security is sabotaging the land of self-reliance. And that's this whole show. I mean, that was the purpose of doing this show, and Economy One is the pursuit of self-reliance. And it, I, I've always used the example, it's innate. You have two little children, and your oldest is three. She's about three, yeah. yeah about three. It's, it's innate. It's in her genes. Has she reached the point where she says no to you? I want to do it myself. 
She's just starting to do that. And you're right that that where that we have uh, naturally a desire to be independent, and that can and that can either be beaten out of us or we can beat it out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what you definitely don't want is a social system that beats it out of you. Because the fact is that if you let down the um, responsibility for taking care of your own life, you impose the burden on somebody else, and that is enormously unjust. And it's bad for you because. The real source of happiness and self-esteem is knowing that you're in control of your own life and you've made something of your life. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just pound that on the show all the time that we got to have that self-reliance. Got about a minute left, uh, Don. Tell us a little bit about the new book. It's uh, America's misguided fight against income equality. I'm trying to read upside down there. Equal is unfair. Coming out in a few weeks. Uh, give us a preview. Well, I mean, the short version of this, we've heard from Bernie Sanders and basically everybody else on the left that all our problems are caused by the rich being too rich. Mm -hmm. And my view is that we have a lot of problems, and some of those problems are caused by rich people. But when you don't make a distinction between people who achieve productive success by creating values and people who plunder it, then you're smearing some of the greatest achievers who actually make all of us better off. And that's really what's happened. You know, we, we're demonizing the producers, including the most superlative producers, uh, who, who make modern life possible. I mean, we couldn't be talking over these microphones to all these people over the Internet and all the radio if it weren't for great creators. And that's what's being demonized. And that, I regard, as unfair. Uh, fair is one of those words we... We, we say it's one of the uh, four-letter words that begin with F that we don't say on the show. And uh, I get tired of hearing things aren't fair. Well, life isn't fair, you know. All we want is an equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. And uh, looking forward to reading that. I can't wait to uh, get my copy of it. Don, once again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've talked to you a couple of times on the, on the show previously. I hope we can uh, chat again soon. It's been my pleasure. Thank you much, Don. Up next, I learned something this week, and I learned it from a millennial as to why they're voting for Bernie Sanders. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. To an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. I don't know if you have you have you seen this website called isidewith.com. Isidewith.com. You got to go there and you take a, a, a test, a quiz, and it uh, takes all of your answers and aligns them with the different presidential candidates out there, and it tells you who you're most in line with. And I was talking about that to a young man the other day, and he said his came up, he's 22 years old, he said his came up 88% in a line with Bernie Sanders and 82% in a line with Hillary Clinton. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm a baby boomer, okay, as many of you are, and so when I see that college kids are lining up and, and rallying behind a, a devout, admitted socialist like Bernie Sanders, I just kind of shrug my shoulders, raise my eyebrows, saying, ah, these kids don't really know anything. They're, they're just ignorant of the world and uh, want to belong and having fun. 
And so I started asking this young man, why? Why would you feel you're aligned with Bernie Sanders? And he said, I, I feel like he's the only one looking out for me. And I, I started questioning. First of all, I said, uh, Bernie's not looking out for you. Uh, Hillary's not looking out for you. Neither is Donald Trump. Neither is Ted Cruz. And, he, and nobody, nobody is looking out for you. Only you can look out for you. So that's the first thing. And I said, the second thing, how is a politician, how is it that he puts a gun to my head, takes my money, how does that benefit you? How does that help you? How do you feel you're being looked out for by that event? And he had no answer. So we got into a deep discussion, and I said, but, you know, you're 22. What What is the problem here? And he says, I'm working 75 hours, which he is. I know this young man. He's a sharp kid and uh, working away. And he said, I'm barely paying all my bills, and I don't see how it's ever going to change. And right there, a little light went on for me. Okay, like I said, I always thought of these college kids backing someone like Bernie Sanders. It's just ignorant. They just don't know any better. Okay, they don't know, and they don't know that they don't know. You know what I mean? The unconscious incompetent. But it goes a lot deeper than that. This young man didn't see a optimistic, positive future for himself. He didn't see where he would ever be any better off than he is right now, and he wasn't happy where he's at right now. And when when a politician comes along and reaffirms that victimhood, reaffirms that downtrodden aspect, that's who they're going to side with. That guy understands me. Okay, He understands the feelings I'm having. And it really hit home because I told this guy, I said, you know, you got two things that you don't realize you have that are more valuable than money. And he goes, what's that? And I said, one, you're 22. So you got time. I would give all my money to have his time left in life. So he's got time to create things, to build things. And I said, two, you got an entrepreneur with a lot of experience standing three feet away from you, willing to help if you ask. I told him I wasn't going to write him any checks. I wasn't going to give him any money, but I would help him. I would give him the benefit of my experience, the mistakes I made, to help him create a vision. Too many of these kids have no vision. They, they don't have an optimistic view of their life over the next 5, 10, 20 years. When I was 22, I always knew things were getting better every day. Every day it was getting better. And these kids, many of them, don't have that today. And this is a sharp young man, very sharp. So we're going to dig deeper into this in, in coming weeks to analyze it. 
but uh, it was very enlightening for me. Very enlightening. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.